Good afternoon and welcome to From Where We Are, stories of news and culture through the lens of USC and Southern California. I'm Joanna Bowdorf coming to you live from Studio B in USC's Annenberg Media Center. And I'm Anthony Klingerman. It's Tuesday, October 10th. On today's show, an update to the situation in Israel and Palestine. A former baseball player declares he is running for Senate. And we hear from a USC Annenberg alum who reported on Ukraine. Even though I send a lot of foreign correspondents you know, to the war, it's never easy. All that and more from, from where, where we are. are after these news headlines. From Annenberg Radio News, I'm Abu Tefesa. Five quick hits so you'll know what's happening at home and around the world. Yesterday, in an address marking the National Day of Taiwan's Republic of China government, Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen spoke about current tensions with Beijing, saying, quote, peace is the only option for both sides of the Taiwan Strait. Maintaining the status quo as the greatest common denominator for all parties is key to ensuring peace. These comments come only a year after a heightened phase of cross-strait tensions, resulting from a historic visit from then U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Taipei in 2022. During her visit, the People's Liberation Army simulated encirclement of Taiwan, resulting in increased tensions between the states and China. In other news, war continues to rage out in Israel, as President Biden is planning to speak with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu later today. Joined by Vice President Kamala Harris, a White House statement says the two will, quote, discuss our support for Israel and our efforts coordinated with partners and allies to defend Israel and innocent people against terrorism and to deter other hostile actors from exploiting this attack on Israel. In an address this morning, Biden condemned Hamas's actions and showed support for Israel. We now know that American citizens are among those being held by Hamas. I've directed my team to share intelligence and deploy additional experts from across the United States government to consult with and advise Israeli counterparts on hostage recovery, recovery efforts. Because as president, I have no higher priority than the safety of Americans being held hostage around the world. Stay tuned for more information on this later in the show. Now, negotiations between the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television, and radio artists and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers are set to resume on Wednesday, with both sides working towards an end to a nearly three-month strike. The union is seeking an increase in minimum rates in the first year of the new contract, while studios are seeking to limit those increases, which would be provided to both the writers and directors. The union also wants 2% of the revenue attributed to each film and TV show on a streaming platform, in addition to the current residuals that already apply to streaming shows. On Monday, authorities closed Santa Monica Pier after a man climbed onto the Ferris wheel and claimed to be carrying a bomb. Reports say the man could be seen on the wheel carrying a backpack, and the Santa Monica Police Department announced via Twitter that officers were dealing with, quote, a person in crisis. In the end, no one was harmed. And at USC, Will Farrell, whose eldest son goes to school here, was seen DJing at a Sigma Alpha Move fraternity party. Dressed in a backwards USC cap, sunglasses, and a zip-up sweatshirt, Farrell looked to be right at home, partying with his son and at the school that is his alma mater. With dozens of videos shared to social media, students were seen dancing with Farrell as he played classic tracks like Eye of the Tiger and Kanye West's Blanks in Paris. 
I'm Abu Tafessa. Former National League MVP Steve Garvey has just announced that he is stepping up to the plate this year in the California senatorial race. He is just one of many celebrities hoping to hit a home run in a new field, politics. Mia Russman is here to tell us more. On Tuesday, former National League MVP Steve Garvey announced that he is throwing his bat in the ring for the 2024 California senatorial election. The seat he is competing for has been left empty since the passing of former Senator Dianne Feinstein two weeks ago. At the time of her passing, Feinstein was the oldest member of Congress and had served her role since 1992. Garvey, a Republican who played first base for the Los Angeles Dodgers and San Diego Padres, is likely to face an extremely difficult campaign as he works to fill a seat that has been occupied by a Democrat for more than 30 years. He represents just the latest in a string of celebrities who have recently attempted to run for office. Last December, former NFL star Herschel Walker lost a very competitive election to current Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock. During the 2020 election, former Auburn University head football coach Tommy Tuberville flipped an Alabama Senate seat. The trend goes beyond the state, to federal elections as well. Former President Donald Trump was a celebrity businessman and reality TV star turned commander-in-chief. Back in an episode of The Simpsons from the year 2000, Lisa Simpson predicted Donald Trump's presidency. As you know, we've inherited quite a budget crunch from President Trump. How bad is it, Secretary Van Houten? We're broke. The country is broke? How can that be? This was not the first time that a television show or movie commented on celebrities and politics. The 1985 movie Back to the Future had commentary on the trend. Who's president of the United States in 1985? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? The actor? <laughs> Reagan was a Hollywood actor turned president who began the trend we see today. Reagan's presidential win, as well as Trump's, are examples of celebrity success in running for and securing public office. Garvey has his work cut out for him, according to USC professor of political science and public policy Christian Gross, who gave a written statement. He said, quote, Steve Garvey will have an uphill climb in Democratic-leaning California. California voters are looking for a fresh face who is a Democrat, and Garvey is a Republican in his 70s. Will Garvey hit a home run? Or will he strike out as a Republican in a left-leaning state? Only time will tell. For Annenberg Media, I'm Mia Russman. This week, the LA28 Olympics Board of Directors launched a proposal to include five new Olympic sports in hopes to display the diversity of Los Angeles. Todd Takeuchi has the story. On Monday, LA28 presented a proposal to the International Olympic Committee. Their proposal looked to potentially approve baseball, softball, cricket, flag football, lacrosse, and squash for the 2028 Olympics. USC freshman pitcher and biomedical engineering major Andrew Harbour explained that this is a culture thing and that the potential implementation of these sports will only increase the popularity I of the Olympics. I think it Olympics. would bring a lot more excitement to the Olympics. It would uh, definitely bring a bigger fan base, get a bigger fan base involved and just get a, a different culture, get a bigger, more involved culture. Harbour explained. I want to see the best of the best, whoever brings it. So, whoever that may be, 
just best talent. Bring it. Junior communications major Isabella Gruss took a different approach for the new potential games. Gruss looked at the proposal as a way for athletes to receive the recognition they deserve regardless of how popular their sport may be. Honestly, I think it'd be a great idea, especially because I feel like those specific sports are not highly looked at, especially in the, at the professional level. And I feel like it will bring, you know, maybe more fans to the games and kind of include those sports in a better way. And I feel like they deserve, you know, the same opportunity that, you know, more popular sports as of right now around the country deserve. USC professor and NBC's own Seth Rubinroy realized the lasting impact these sports can do for the games as a whole, given that the Olympics is one of the biggest global events in the world. This is a huge opportunity for, for those sports to, to grow even more. Um, the Olympics is such a, such a big global event. In the United States, it's going to be the number one show on television for two and a half weeks. Um, around the world, millions, if not billions of people are going to tune in, um, which can be just a great platform for these uh, burgeoning sports to grow. Ruben Roy also knows that if these sports do get approved, that the coverage of these events not only spotlight the athletes, but spotlight the sports as a whole. It'll be a, you know, a big educational thing, too. I think that, um, you know, I think that that half of that is just, you know, at NBC, it's going to be incumbent on us to educate the, the audience on, you know, we've, we've gotten, you know, NBC does a great job of introducing people to figure skating that have never watched figure skating before. And I think the same thing is going to be, need to happen with, um, with, with, uh, with, you know, cricket as well. And even, you know, lacrosse to some extent. With the proposal already sent out, it's only a matter of time before a decision is made. If the proposal goes through, It'll undergo another approval session in Mumbai, India later this month. Who knows? Maybe you'll play some squash after the 2028 Olympics. For Annenberg Media, I'm Todd Takeuchi. A recent USC grad has just returned from reporting on the front lines and in the border towns of Ukraine. A former journalism master's student, Glada Prevet Ryu is currently the New York Sun's Europe correspondent. Estelle Atkinson spoke with her about her time on the ground. Clara Prevet is the Europe correspondent for the New York Sun, where she's been a reporter since she graduated with her master's degree in journalism from USC Annenberg in 2022. Based in Brussels, she recently returned from Ukraine, where she reported on life in the country's near-empty border towns in the wake of Russian shelling and President Volodymyr Zelensky's advocacy for holding elections despite the practical difficulties inhibiting civilians and soldiers from voting, to name a few. I was able to speak with Preve last night as the sun rose in Italy where she is currently staying with her grandmother. She said that the decision to go to Ukraine wasn't an easy one, and her editors at The Sun had some hesitations. Um, and that was maybe the reason why many journalists are not going to Ukraine right now. You know, the counteroffensive is just going very slow. Rather than prioritizing breaking news coverage, she said many journalists are embarking on feature stories instead. The other main reason for hesitancy was Bebe's own safety. He, my editor, you know, he, he's been in the newspaper business for many years, but he always says, you know, I, even though I send a lot of foreign correspondents you know, to the war, it's never easy. Um, and I understand. Nevertheless, she got the go-ahead. Now, she had to get it from the Ukrainian government as well. 
he, he accepted, he approved of my request. Um, and then it took another month to get my accreditation. Um, accreditation for Ukraine is really, it's really slow. Um, they want to check absolutely everything of that person to make sure they're not, you know, a Russian mole or something. Once on the ground, the government continues to monitor all accredited journalists. There are specific rules that all press have to follow, such as making sure that their coverage isn't revealing military locations. They check absolutely everything that you post and every picture that you take and every video that you're taking. Um, and if it violates any of the rules, you, you immediately get suspended. Pereve recounted a time when she stopped a report from a gas station that had been destroyed. This truck of militars, you know, the soldiers came over um, and we just started talking and I made a video and they were like, no, no, we can't, we, you can't show that this gas station, even though it was impossible for them, I thought it was impossible for anyone to realize what gas station and where it was, but no, you can't, you can't actually show absolutely anything. As she traveled the country, passing through accreditation checkpoints and meeting more and more Ukrainian people, Breve said she was struck by one thing in particular. It was fascinating. Um, it was one of the things that, you know, I take with me, you know, the generosity of the Ukrainian people when it comes to sharing not only, you know, the material stuff, just as hazelnuts, or, um, but also, you know, their story. The hazelnuts she mentioned were a gift from a local police officer in a border town who, despite Breve's resistance, insisted on sharing his food with her. For Annenberg Media, I'm Estelle Atkinson. I'm Joanna Bauerdorf. We're glad you're with us for From Where We Are. And I'm Anthony Klingerman. It's 36 minutes past the hour. Coming up, a Prada and NASA collab. <music> Students spend a lot of time on campus, and that time is not free. Grayson Solomon. Ask students how much money they spend while they are on campus. A recent study from the annual State of Work report conducted by video conferencing company Owl Labs found that about 66% of employees spend $51 per day when they work in person. This $51 on average was broken down by researchers into four main costs. $16 for lunch, $14 for commuting, $13 for breakfast and coffee, and $8 for parking. We talked to USC students to find out how much they spend while they're on campus. Junior Max Kranzler talked about how living far away from campus can be a challenge when it comes to saving money on food. It probably ranges from, you know, like as little as like maybe $15 if I'm just like grabbing a star, maybe I'm grabbing a Starbucks or I'm grabbing like a little booster snack um, to $50 if I have to, if I'm buying all three meals that I eat. You know, I, I cook a lot, uh, but I also, one of the, I'm not a commuter student, but I do live kind of far. I live on 37th Drive, so it's like a few blocks away, so I can't, uh, in between classes, I can't go back home and cook and then come back and then make it in time. So I find that I ultimately have to spend money on the food they have here. However, commuter students such as senior Gabby Polly had to account for transportation costs when traveling to class. I I have not calculated it, but I commute, so 
I actually don't, I don't pay for gas though because I, I drive a Tesla. So that has cut down my cost. But last year when I was spend, like, spending money on gas, I was spending a crazy amount of money. Um, but now I really only spend on like food and coffee. So probably like $30, 40, okay, $30 a day on like food. <laughs> Freshman Alma Wariso tries to reduce her spending by utilizing her meal plan at one of the three dining halls on campus. As a USC student, I spend about 15 a day because I'm really trying to save money. <laughs> because of the cost of USC, I do primarily eat at the dining halls because with my meal plan that I'm already paying for, it's, it's free. I mean, I'm paying for it, but it's not an additional cost every day. So I purely eat at the dining halls and try to refrain from buying food just because I'm already paying for food. So I might as well eat that food. Well, there you have it. It seems that many USC students spend the same amount of money on campus as the average working class employee in the office without the cost of transportation unless you are a commuter. Students can prioritize saving money by packing a lunch, breakfast, and coffee before heading to class. For Annenberg Radio News, I'm Grayson Solomon. Today, we spoke to the members of the Israeli, American Jewish, and American Palestinian communities about the conflict in that region. They shared stories of their experiences both in Israel and here in the U.S. Before we get to the story that Ethan Huang had released, in a statement released by the Equity Board today, they stated that when covering the situation, scripts and stories should strive to include the full picture, which is not always easy for students in the newsroom to encapsulate with limited time and limited sourcing. When in doubt, talk with faculty, your peers, and student leaders, and link to trusted sources rather than to attempt to describe something in your own words without expert guidance. It is pertinent to go about our reporting with empathy, especially when lives are at stake. Remember to be highly aware of the language and word usage while reporting on such critical issues. Ethan Huang has the story. The conflict between Israel and Hamas, a militant political group, escalated this week after Hamas issued an organized attack against Israel on Saturday during the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War and the Jewish festival of Sukkot. Israel launched retaliatory attacks on the Gaza Strip and closed off the borders, limiting civilian access to food and water, which UN human rights chief Volker Turk says is against international law. Itay Raviv is a citizen of Israel. For him, this conflict meant an attack directly on his family. Five family members uh, of my family, they uh, lived in Kibbutz near Oz, which is also right on the border. And the connection with them uh, was lost on Saturday morning around the time of 8, 9 a.m. After everything had started at 6.30 a.m. with the missiles, we thought up until today that all of them were uh, captivated uh, and were abducted by Hamas into Gaza. As it turns out, their speculation might have been true, as they received word from members of the village that one of his relatives was recently killed in the conflict. So today we found out that Roy was actually uh, murdered by Hamas, and he was found uh, shot to death on the ground on the, in the kibbutz. But beyond the borders of Israel and Palestine, people in the affected communities feel pain, confusion, and grief. Benjamin Schiff, USC alumni and former president of Chabad at USC, says there's comfort in seeing the Jewish community come together in response. It's tough that it's happening for something so tragic, but it has been, the, the silver lining is that it has been powerful to see this community 
um, and specifically different factions of our L.A. Jewish community and U.S.C. Jewish community coming together um, during such tough times. Meanwhile, for Palestinian Americans, the recent news has hit close to home. Sarah Ali, who requested to use a pseudonym, comes from a Palestinian background. Her family once experienced the authoritarian takeover of Palestine by Israel. My grandparents are born in Palestine, both born before 1948. So they were both expelled and my grandfather lived in a refugee camp. My grandmother was kicked out of her home. And just hearing their stories, I that like radicalized me enough. Like I didn't need for someone to t- tell me anything else. To Ali, the branding of Hamas as terrorists is incredibly subjective and doesn't agree with its classification. If you're going to call Hamas terrorists, you should call the U.S. military terrorists. Because if you really look at what the U.S. military has done in the past even 20 years, that's terrorism, in my opinion. And this complexity of wording and labeling has major effects when it comes to conversations here in the U.S., says Schiff. We're dealing with people here and, and people's lives and and death and, and destruction. And it's a kind of a sensitive topic the same way that you know, Palestinians aren't necessarily represented by Hamas. Israel is, Israelis aren't represented by the Israeli government. And there's innocent lives that have so many innocent lives. At the moment, it seems that this is just the start as Raviv looks into an uncertain future. I consider myself pro-Palestinian. I support two states. I always, I always talked about not hurting uh, innocent people and not hurting innocent Palestinians. Personally, I believe it has to end with some sort of agreement with Palestinians, with someone. But as of now, as of right now, we're at war, full-on war. For Annenberg Media, I'm Ethan Huang. USC's Career Center hosted a career carnival today at Alumni Park filled with burgers, ice cream, games, and even a puppy pen for all undergraduate students looking for professional opportunities. Tracy Mejia has the story. They came for the great burgers and left with a job. That's because USC Career Center is hosting a career carnival event for undergrad students. Students were able to get burgers, funnel cakes, snow cones, and of course, play carnival games. But the fun didn't end there. With the fun twist on career fair, the carnival gave a more fun environment, attracting the students to join the activities and speak to potential employers. A junior cinema studies major, James Mai, talked about how the career carnival had more opportunities for different majors. I think it's great for a lot of my fellow other students. I've been to some of the career fairs here at USC. As a film student, it's not as... Like, it doesn't, there's not as many opportunities for film students. That's okay, we have the film school here, so there's plentiful stuff if we, you know, want to. I see a lot of opportunities for a variety of different majors, so it's a good time. The Career Center aimed for a more fun and relaxed setting to connect the students and guiding them to a career path. The participation of the students helped receive key insights to improve future programming. Alex Flores, who's a sophomore public relations major and a worker at the Career Center, helped plan the carnival and was happy with the turnout. I'm really excited to see that a lot of people showed up 
and I'm happy that to be here and show up for all my coworkers and for everyone that threw this amazing event. It's like a more like chilled back, like relaxed environment for students. I know that especially because it's midterm season and we just had our career fair that they wanted to do something just a little more chill and a little more to like de-stress students. It's a lot of fun. There's games, there's free foods. I'm actually looking for the puppies right now. Hopefully undergrad students left with a mouthful of treats and the possibility of an employment offer or a business card. For Annenberg Media, I'm Tracy Mejia. One small step for man, one giant leap for fashionistas universally. Prada has a new collaboration with NASA for the Artemis III mission, and these new spacesuits are out of this world. Mark Armendariz Gonzalez has more on the collab. Houston, we have a Prada. For their first crewed flight to the moon since the 70s, NASA astronauts will be flying to space in style. In 2025, the crew of Artemis III will be completely dripped out due to a collaboration between Axion Space and famed Italian luxury brand Prada. In a press release from Axion Space last Wednesday, it was revealed that the company will work with Prada when it comes to creating the designs that will protect the Artemis III crew against the distinctive environment of the moon. In a press release, Axion Space CEO Michael Suffardini said, Prada's technical expertise with raw materials, manufacturing techniques, and innovative design concepts will bring advanced technologies instrumental in ensuring not only the comfort of astronauts on the lunar surface, but also the much-needed human factors considerations absent from legacy spacesuits. With the announcement of the Italian fashion giants partaking in the design of the spacesuits, many are starting to give their predictions on what they may look like. USC Fashion enthusiast Garth Ragsdale definitely put some thought into a concept for the suits. Uh, if I had to envision some type of like space astronaut suit developed by Prada, I'm probably going from like a, I'm looking at like some type of monogram, flashy, silver. I'm not really too sure. They might even like throw in some different silver with a gold in there, a black suit. I'm, I'm interested to see what it'll look like, but... Yeah, no, I think it'll be very flashy, and I'm, I'm curious to see how extraterrestrial beings will um, deal with our, our presence there. With NASA and Prada being the first to collab in this type of manner, it might be the start of a new trend, where companies with different ideologies come together for the sake of fashion. Co-president of the Fashion Industry Association, Simone Brown, had an interesting take on the possible trend. Um, I think that's entirely possible, especially because there are other brands like Adidas or Nike, which aren't necessarily big houses, but other bigger well-known brands that have kind of moved into the field of designing sports clothes, or you might see like racing jackets or any of those kinds of things that are made for functionality and sport that are now made by designer brands and fashion brands. So I think that could definitely be a movement there. Who knows what's next? Although unconfirmed, we may go full bougie and see Louis Vuitton design space helmets and Gucci space slides in future NASA missions. One person you will not be catching in Gucci space slides is USC basketball player Isaiah Collier. Nah, I ain't a fan of no slides in no space. Nah, nah. You gotta keep his shoes for sure. Whatever does end up happening, one thing is for sure. NASA astronauts' drip game will be astronomical. From Annenberg Media, I'm Mark Armendariz Gonzalez. We got the real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance. Do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. All right.
USC students may be shocked to hear that one of their professors has more to them than meets the syllabus. Grayson Solomon sat down with Dornzife professor Christopher Muniz, aka DJ Nightstalker, and heard more about his turntable-filled double life. Hi everybody, today I'm here with Professor Muniz, or better known as DJ Nightstalker. Depending which circles exactly. you uh, circulate in. Exactly, exactly. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm a bit tired. You know, it's midterm season. Midterms, hot, exactly. uh, you know, all that. Weird weather, all right, that. Right. But, you know, midterm season being a professor, I bet you're giving out midterms right now. Uh, classes. So I actually teach writing. So they're kind of finishing up their second writing project and we're getting ready to kind of move into the final project of the semester, which is, a bit, you know, a fairly big project. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that last last year. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, so you're a RIT 150 teacher. Why did you choose to what made you want to become like a professor? What like fostered that path for you? Yeah, I think, you know, as a undergrad, I actually went to SC as an undergrad. And then I went for creative writing, went to uh, CalArts for an MFA in what was called interdisciplinary writing at the time. So writing was always kind of um, part of my life, I guess. And I had always heard about the creative writing PhD here at USC and wanting to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, when you get a PhD, you teach as part of it, right. And part of your uh, award kind of thing. And I just really fell in love with teaching. Um, I had done a little teaching in, at a uh, Cal arts, but I just sort of fell in love with it. And, um, uh, the program here just decided to keep me on full time and it's just been going ever since. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So outside of teaching, you're a DJ. <laughs> so <laughs> DJ night sucker. Yes. So, Many know you as the professor, but you tend to keep both sides separate, I heard. Yeah. So many of your students probably don't know who DJ Nystucker is. So yeah. I want to ask, how did you start DJing? Like, what inspired you? And how did you kind of hone in on, like, an EDM path? Yeah, I mean, I'd been into music my whole life, you know, like a lot of people. My dad had a huge, like, record collection that we would listen to growing up. Um, and then actually when I came out, I grew up in Colorado. So when I came out to LA for uh, undergrad, you know, I just got into like the rave scene at the time. And, uh, you know, I didn't know genres or anything. I was just like, what is this, yeah. this, this underground world, you know, this kind of crazy space. Just and boom, 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 yeah, just boom. fell in love with uh, all kinds of music and started collecting music of my own, you know, uh, getting uh, promos. Actually, so years ago so there was these guys who were on who had their own radio show at the usc radio station and they were like friends and I'd, every time i'd come over they have all these packages of like free music at the time but you know it was like cds and and uh, right. um, actual vinyl you know kind of thing and i was like how do you guys get all this free music they're like oh we're just on the promo list you know and i was like oh if i start writing reviews maybe i'll i'll get uh get on some promo lists yeah. so, I, so i went got like white label uh, records that weren't like released and sort of got published in like herb magazine and and these things and started getting all these promos. So I had all this huge, a lot of music go to Cal arts. They have a slot open on their radio, on their internet radio station. So I just started playing music. It was like midnight in the UK, which is where drum and bass, the kind of style yeah. that I started out uh, or the, my main style is, uh, is based out of. And the show just took off, you know, and I was just kind of oh. like a radio DJ at first, you know, I'd be like playing a record and be like, yeah, it's the new one from Fotech. And you know, yeah. I, I wasn't mixing or anything, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But, so you were like a radio DJ at first, yeah. but I did look at your Instagram and you did play at some underground yeah. LA raves like Lick and Dip. Yep. 
And I just wanted to ask, how did you get into that scene and like what kind of like path, like how did you kind of uh, funnel your way into that? Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where it was like a hobby that kind of just kind of took on a life of its own. I started playing, you know, smaller parties in L.A., uh, gradually made a name for myself as a as a DJ over the years. And then specifically with like Lick and Dip, which is kind of tech tech house, techno house music focused. It was just like maybe three, four years ago, uh, one of the owners or promoters, whatever, reached out to me, says, I want you to, you know, I want you to play for, for uh, my party or whatever. And this is when they were small. You yeah, know, it was yeah. like, it was actually like right here near USC, up yeah. on Flower Street. Yeah. You know? And, uh, exactly. you know, and I just had fun with it, you know, and, and of course it got the crowd going. And then just ever since then, that's just been like another kind of path, I guess, uh, uh, to kind of follow Um you know, my influences range all the way back to like what, like I said, when I first got here, it was like house and techno and then drum and bass. Yeah. Dope. Interview with DJ Night Stalker will be available on the Annenberg Radio News Spotify after the show. And that's all the time we have for on today's From Where We Are. Issa Johnson, Ethan Huang, Eric Trevino, Marie-Louise, Leone, and Nikki Burleson produced today's show. We had help from Sam Spitz, Malia Pittman, Emery Tavora, Adita Thiag, and Valeria Macias. Mallory Kara is our coach. Our board operator is Chris Babona. Our live stream manager is Tony Fajardo. Our technical advisor is Sebastian Gruba, and Derek Renfro composed our theme music. Catch us live on YouTube at Annenberg Radio News, Monday through Thursday at 5 p.m. Subscribe to From Where We Are, wherever you're listening right now. And finally, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Annenberg Radio. I'm Joanna Bauerdorf. And I'm Anthony Klingerman. From all of us at Annenberg Radio, wherever you are, we hope you'll join us again for From From Where Where We Are. Joanna, I'm no astronaut, but I'm ready to launch into this spring break. Let's get out of this world. Thank you.